Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, yesterday we began to think about why creeds and confessions are so important to the church today. And so let's begin today um, by talking about what some of those creeds and confessions are. And, of course, I do want to continue some of those conversations that we had off air. But uh, so for maybe for some of those people that are just tuning in, what, what are the creeds and confessions that are important for all Christians to be acquainted with? We might say the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, the Chalcedon Creed, or the Creed of Athanasius. Those, those are the, what we call the ecumenical creeds. These are creeds that have been uh, given to the church and been believed and studied by the church for centuries. Yeah, those are the creeds that, that go back to the earliest centuries of the church, and they provide the, the unified core of what the church believes and teaches and what every branch of the church believes and teaches. And, and outside of those, um, there is there is virtually, I should say, almost universal agreement in, in the Christian church on those creeds, whatever the denomination. And outside of those is outside the reservation, is outside of those, and, and any teaching that contradicts those is outside of Christianity. It would be un- unorthodox. Yeah. Exactly. So what would be some of the confessions be then? We talked about some of the creeds. What about some of the confessions? Well, I think that you have them in various denominations. You have the Augsburg Confession in the Lutheran Church. You have Westminster Confession, which is Presbyterian mostly, um, Reformed Confessions of um, the Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechism. You know, you know, a lot of them are geographic in one sense, but they're also international because they've uh, those confessions have actually become uh, popular internationally as well. You, in uh, the Anglican Church, you have the Thirty Nine Articles. You, uh, the Baptists would have a reworked um, Westminster Confession, the sixteen eighty nine Confession, uh, London Baptist Confession, but they're all uh, very they're they're integrated. They're, you pick them up, and you could actually do a harmony on these things because they're not teaching anything outside of what we've already seen in the creeds. It's interesting that the tradition of of confessions and is is quite old. It it really dates to the time period of the Reformation, and what you'd find is that you have this whole stream of um, confessions. Um, so you you do have the heavy hitters that that Jonathan mentioned. Um, so. Um, in the Reformed world, um, you have the the ones that come out of the the Swiss tradition, the the first and second Helvetic. You've got right. the ones that come out of the Continental Reform, the Belgic, the Heidelberg, and and the Canons of Dort. You've got the Presbyterian that have the Westminster and the the shorter and larger catechisms. You, you've got the Baptist spin off of the Westminster and the London. 
um, confession. Um, but what you don't probably realize is that almost every country, church, community, town had confessions at this time. So those are the heavy hitters, but you could go – I have a four-volume set of confessions that were written in the, the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries, and it's just a compilation of all of these confessions. And, and why were they writing these? They're writing these to, to, as, as a form of, of protection so that they don't stray away from the okay. truths of God's Word. And so what they were trying to do is help their young people especially to know the truths of the Word of God. So those people that see the confessions as a threat to the Bible, they're, they're misunderstanding what the, the original intent of confessions was, which was to help reinforce and and strengthen people's belief in the truths of the word of god. Yeah. Everything in these confessions are footnoted to say this is the biblical reference in which this truth comes from. Yeah. I you know I was interviewed one time on the radio by um a guy who started lecturing me on how, you know what, you just bring all of your systematic theology to the Bible, you bring your teacher, you bring your systems, and we just need to let the Bible speak for itself. And then he went on to lecture me about what he thought the Bible said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah. I hope I hope our listeners caught the irony of that statement. After the interview, the the uh, the gentleman who was interviewing me, he said, "Well, you know, is, does, wasn't that guy onto something? Wouldn't it be better if we just read scripture, like in our church services?" And I said, mm-hmm. "Well, of course it'd be good to read scripture. Of course we should always read scripture." But he was advocating for for reading scripture alone, and he said, "Well, what's wrong with that?" And I said. That would actually be disobeying Scripture because Scripture tells us that Christ gave us prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, and they're to equip the saints. What do they do that with? The explanation of what the text is, and that's what the creeds and confessions are. Right. We, we do believe in Scripture alone as our, our rule, our standard for faith and practice, but that doesn't mean, mean that everybody is supposed to be their own private interpreter of those things and because – we're not soloist with God's word, uh, where we take the approach, whatever this is, what it means to me. You know, in fact, oftentimes you find that. Well, whatever, what I think this means is this, and that makes everybody their own interpreter. And really, what that means is that we're declaring there is no absolute in God's word. Yeah, people have underinterpreted sola scriptura, though. Mm-hmm. That they now interpret it to mean scripture alone as opposed to scripture being the final authority. Right. There's, it's not as if there's no other authorities except for scripture. It's that scripture is the final, final authority. authority. I'm just going to look it's, read just a little bit out of Article 7 of the Belgic, um, which it's about the sufficiency of scripture, the authority of scripture. And it says, we believe that the Holy Scripture contains the will of God completely and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. Mm-hmm. For since the entire manner of service which God requires of us is described in it at great length, no one, even an apostle, an angel from heaven, or as Paul says, ought to teach other than what the Holy Scriptures have already taught us. For since it is forbidden to add or subtract from the Word of God, this plainly demonstrates that, the teaching, that its teaching is perfect and complete, so we're not at all ever suggesting that we think the scriptures need something added to it. But this confession goes on to say, therefore, we must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to the divine writings. 
nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. So what we're saying is we're not saying that we believe more in our creeds than the Word of God. We're saying that the creeds and confessions help us understand and they form a memorable means to systematically study and, and learn that summary of God's word. Yeah, and I, I think particularly in, in in our day, creeds and confessions are uh, vital. And I pray for their for the whole of the Christian Church to discover the richness of the creedal tradition of the Church, and particularly because in our day, one of the one of the dysfunctions of modernity is to the belief that many people hold that it, that in order for any truth to be authentic it's got to bubble up out of me and if it didn't bubble up out of me if it came from somewhere else particularly if it came from the past then it's suspect it's inauthentic it's uh you know going to it's going to put some kind of uh, fetters on me uh, and I need to break free of all of that and just discover my own truth in my own soul. Well, that's a that's a pretty lonely place. Uh, humility, Christian humility, begins with saying truth doesn't originate in me. Mm-hmm. It it originates with God, and God has given us His Word. And throughout history, faithful people have interpreted God's Word, and by by submitting myself to the teaching of those who have gone before, I'm submitting myself, I'm, I'm humbling myself and receiving a word that didn't originate in me. Yeah. I want to read you something out of one of my favorite authors. This is uh, from, this is from G.K. Chesterton in his uh, classic little book, Orthodoxy. Some dogma, we are told, was credible in the 12th century, but not credible in the 20th You might as well say that a certain philosophy can be believed on Mondays, but cannot be believed on Tuesdays. You might as well say that a view of the cosmos that was suitable to half past three was not suitable to half past four. What a man can believe depends upon his philosophy, not upon the clock or the century. If a man believes in unalterable natural law, he cannot believe in any miracles in any age. If a man believes in a will behind law, he can believe in any miracle in any age. Now, he's referring to what C.S. Lewis, and we referred to this in our earlier show, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Right. That if it comes from the past, it somehow is inferior. Uh, no, uh, brothers, uh, it's an, it's an act of deep humility, and, and it joins us with the Christians that have gone before, um, and it's a great gift. So let's just, let's just remind our listeners of what we've been saying the last two days. If anyone at this point is saying, well, I, you have not won me over to your argument, I, I still believe that the Bible alone, without the aid of creeds and confessions, without the aid of teachers, is is my the way that I'm going to go, you're being entirely inconsistent. Again, you have a creed and confession that's on your own heart. That's what you were just talking yeah. about, Phil, yeah. about it bubbling up within yourself. Having a creed and confession is simply unavoidable. Absolutely. You will either have one where you're echoing the voice of the church throughout the ages, or you're going to be in the echo chamber of your own mind. 
Good. Right. Yep. And the foundation of that of those creedal statements is that uh, is this truth that scripture is not a matter of private interpretation. Yeah. Um, one of the things we have to realize that when we talk about how the um, creeds summarize the Bible, let's just think about how large the Bible is to us. You know, we've got you know. 66 books we have uh you know 1189 chapters we have you know roughly 773,000 words and you know when you think about the the wealth that we have there you know uh, even the most spiritual giant you know it you know is not going to come to a full comprehension of everything that's said there yeah. so there is a, there's this necessary matter of uh of delivering the faith from one generation to another. And we do that with these fundamental selected truths um, that are outlined and organized in a creed like the apostles where we have uh, a creedal statement that teaches us uh, the Trinity, God the Father, uh, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. John writes in Second John that I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So he's saying there is a truth, and then later on he says there's many deceivers have gone out into the world that don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. So he's saying that there's going to be come that are going. There are those that are going to come and try to deceive. You have to be careful. Watch out. And then he says everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has been has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is John talking about? John is talking about that there are core beliefs mm-hmm. of the right. faith. Mm-hmm. And there are, going to be, there are going to be those that are outside of that that are going to threaten the church and try to deceive the church, but you have to know the core beliefs of the church. And if there are those that are outside of those core, don't accept them. Don't bring them into your house. And, and to me, the creeds are that core that helps us be wise and discerning about truth and error. It provides a protection for an individual. It provides a protection for the church. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Gospel for Life. We hope to see you next time. 